So Money Episode 540, Emmalyn Northway and Dory Smith, co-founders of Of Mercer. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. You're listening to So Money, everyone. Welcome back, February 27th, episode 540. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. As the saying goes, dress for the job you want, not the one you have, right? I remember hearing that when I was in my 20s and thinking, well... Better stop shopping at H&M then, I guess, right? But what if you can't exactly afford Prada? And what if the affordable options just don't fit right or they're made out of lousy materials? That's where today's guests entered the picture. Dory Smith and Emmalyn Northway are the co-founders of Of Mercer. It's a career wear line for the modern professional woman. They met one fateful day while both going to business school at the University of Pennsylvania. They spotted each other across a crowded room because, you know what? They were wearing identical outfits. (laughs) They initially launched the brand back in 2013 as an e-commerce site. Since then, the company's received mucho praise from many media outlets, including the New York Times, Forbes, Inc. Magazine. Last year, they actually ventured from online to a brick-and-mortar store in New York City, which is an interesting transition, right? Going from online to actually a physical space. So how do they do that? Also, how do two business students with no experience in fashion really get the know-how and the money to start a successful fashion line? And how to know when pairing up with a business partner makes sense? Here's Emmalyn Northway and Dory Smith. Emmalyn Northway and Dory Smith, welcome to So Money, co-founders of Of Mercer. Once I am done baby making, I'm going to try your clothes, promise. Uh, welcome to the show. Great. Thanks so much for having us on. You know, we should tell the audience how we met. We met at the Rockettes. <laughs> yes, it, it actually was uh, one of the best nights of Emmalyn and my life. Really? We were, we're big Christmas fans. Aw. Yeah, we were both there as guests of Chase. I'm a partner with Chase, and um, I believe you guys have worked with them in the past as well. So it was a really yep. nice way for them to uh, let us all get together and celebrate the year. And yeah, we got these kind of backstage passes to go see the Rockettes and Christmas Spectacular. It's, you know, whether you celebrate Christmas or not, it is quite the show. And uh, it was nice to make your acquaintance. And I thought at that moment when we met, got to get you two on the show because not only do you have great stories as entrepreneurs, but I think what you're doing with your business is also very groundbreaking. Um, so I'll let you brag about... Uh, I'll, I'll let you brag about Of Mercer for a little bit. Tell us a little bit about the genesis for the idea for the clothing line and how it differentiates. Absolutely. So uh, this is Dory. Uh, Emily and I co-founded Of Mercer about three years ago, a little over three years ago. And it actually started with a personal problem. So Emily and I both came from conservative business backgrounds. I was in consulting. Emily was in finance. And we had to get dressed every day for work. And it was a real struggle for us. And it's kind of unbelievable with, you know, all this movement and excitement around women in the workplace and promoting women and making sure that we're kind of seen as equals that it was so hard for us to get dressed every morning. So we met um, at business school, we were at Wharton Business School, 
And it well, was, can I ask? Can I ask what was so hard about it? Was it just that you felt you had to dress differently every day? Men wear uniforms; they can get away with a suit and tie, same suit and tie if they want, four days a week. Um, what did you feel was the challenge? Um, yeah, this is Emily speaking. I think it was it was twofold. Um, one was that um, being a woman and navigating sort of the office dress codes was actually really tricky. Um, we needed to look stylish. We also needed to look office appropriate. And a lot of the, the mass market brands didn't really understand what that meant. Um, they were pushing short skirts or um, leather, you know, leather fabrics on us, which were never going to work for us. Um, so it was about finding that balance of what's appropriate and also um, stylish for us. Then also about price and quality. So, um, you know, as just starting out on the workforce, we didn't have $500 to be spending on a single dress um, at, at a designer store. But we also didn't want a dress that we were going to buy for $100 that was going to fall apart after two wears. So it was really about finding that balance of what can we afford, but then also um, from a quality standpoint, what, what do we deserve as working women as well? Right, right. That makes sense. So yeah, clearly a need in the marketplace. And it's been a long time since I've had to quote unquote dress up for work. I mean, I dress up sometimes for work events, but uh, I I have to give you guys a lot of credit for, you know, every day. And especially now that I'm pregnant, I'm so thankful <laughs> that I don't have to work in a financial environment because I know it can be really conservative. I work in the Wall Street area. I see the the sea of black suits. Where's the creativity? Yeah. And it's interesting. Um, you're talking about kind of the most conservative of our customers. So customers who wear suits every day. Um, and that's kind of what we expected when we first launched of Mercer. We said, OK, we're going to have lawyers, we're going to have bankers, we're going to have consultants. And we've been surprised by how many other industries have women that are looking for clothes like ours. So there are definitely some pieces that we sell that I wouldn't you know, have worn to a client meeting when I was in consulting. And it's a little bit more casual um, but I think there's just a real movement around looking and feeling your best in the office. And for some people, that might mean jeans and a T-shirt. But for a lot of women, it means feeling put together and having a really well-tailored, well-made dress. I'm going through your site right now, and it's it's beautiful, well-tailored, like you said, pieces that seem to work really well as kind of the shell of an outfit. So it's versatile in the sense that if you do work in a more casual environment or a more fashionable or fashion-driven office, you can accessorize, you do it up. Uh, or if you conversely work in a more conservative uh, office, then that same gray dress is sufficient. Exactly. And I think one of the things that we, we, we love to do too is have those same conservative styles, the same sheath dress, but infuse it with a lot of color. So um, we actually can get creative, even if you're in a more conservative environment. And that's so, what's exciting to us. So the two of you found each other, discovered each other at Wharton. And I read that what kind of was the light bulb moment was that you were both wearing the same dress. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> take me to that moment. What happened? Yes, literally the same dress. Um, it was the first week of Wharton and they have all these orientation events. Um, and then there was one that was kind of meet and greet everybody in your class. And Emily and I showed up in exactly the same dress. And it wasn't that special. It was A-line black. It had a cute belt. Um, and it kind of dawned on us that, you know, this was us putting our best stylish slash professional foot forward. And after years and years of working, we ended up with the exact same dress. But there was a very awkward moment where I sort of looked at Dory and she looked at me <laughs> from across the room and we're like, okay, well, I guess we have to talk to each other because we're wearing the same dress and it's awkward to ignore it. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, but before we realized that it was, it was definitely awkward. 
Was it uh, pretty soon after meeting that you decided to start this business or was it after school? How did it, how did it evolve? We both went to Wharton thinking we were going to do something entrepreneurial. Uh, Neither one of us had really kind of hammered out what that was and were open to exploring it when we were at Wharton. And that's, that was kind of the beginning of a conversation around professional clothes for women. Um, We very much agreed on the fact that we were ended up choosing between you know, a designer brand on sale and cheaper brand, mass market brands. Um, and we wanted to really test out if that was something that other people were facing. So we utilized Wharton as an opportunity to really dig into that. Mm-hmm. Right. Because a lot of your classmates too are probably in the in that demo. So how is business doing? How many years have you been in business? And I read somewhere that you're growing triple percentages every year, but maybe that was just a, an exaggeration. You can tell me. It, yeah. it, sounds, it sounds right to me. Things things are going really, really, really well. So we we just passed our third year of of business as an online um, brand, and uh, just over a year ago, we launched our first brick and mortar store in the Flatiron District in New York. Um, and that's been huge for us. Um, what we've realized is um, having the the offline presence is is really important for establishing credibility and also giving our customers flexibility um, to tr- to try offline as well. And it's it's just been been great for um, to, to really have a place where we can have events and and do things that really show off our, our personality and our inner mission that aren't just about selling 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 and are a little bit more organic. Um, but having having the combination of the two has has been great. And currently, we're looking to expand um, uh, to other locations as well. Um, we are also excited to be launching a new uh, new website and branding um, in the coming month, which we're very excited about. Um, but yeah, overall things are going, going really, really well. How do two students start a business financially? How did you get this off the ground and give yourselves the financial runway to, to execute this? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question and something that every entrepreneur struggles with. Uh, and there are, there are a lot of ways to do it. Um, initially Emmeline and I self-funded the company. So we had both been in industries where we were pretty well paid and had been able to, to have a, a savings account. Um, and that's what we started the company with. So we really invested in ourselves. We invested in our idea and made sure that we were really testing everything in a very methodical way. So we were utilizing that money to the best of our ability. Mm-hmm. And then since then, we, we have raised a seed round of funding. So we are trying to stay as lean as possible. Um, for us, it's been really important to make sure that we're testing everything and that we're building a company that's sustainable even when there's no outside funding coming in. And this is a problem a lot of companies have faced where they get great valuations, great funding. And then the moment that turns off, they're, they're in trouble. And that's not the company that, that we're trying to build. Yes, that was definitely the trend of the last four or five years. And I also am very skeptical of the companies that get these billion dollar valuations and they're not profitable. So it's kind of like, well, what what is the headline? <laughs> yeah. I think what is the real headline? I think especially in, a, in an industry like fashion where brand loyalty gets built up over time. So I think that's kind of the value of the company is that over time that comes and that's that's not turning VC you know, billion dollar valuations overnight. Um, and we, we're not going to pretend it will. How do you get the word out? I mean, first you were online, which in some ways, 
um, can be easier, but also has its own challenges as far as uh, getting cutting through all the competition and all the noise. So how did you initially launch and get your customers to the point now where you've um, been confident to start a brick and mortar store, which is very expensive as well? Yeah, for, for us, a lot of um, a lot of our, our, our early strategy was really based on generating uh, word of mouth, which was something that was 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 more easy for us to do as we were at Wharton with a group of, um, you know, 800 women or so plus their networks and um, our existing networks and really tapping into uh, to those people to, to help help us spread the word. Um, one of the things that, that we we didn't do, which which we, we stick to today is that we didn't spend um, thousands and thousands of dollars um, hiring uh, a firm to do a big splashy launch for us. We wanted to make sure that we were doing an, an organic way um, and really getting getting out the kinks and testing it out ourselves. Um, so we we really like relied on the more organic ways to, to generate um, sort of that early traction and growth, and it worked for, it worked for us really well. Um, especially because it, it was it was natural, and when you get your friends talking about it and their friends talking about it, then it's a much easier way to get people involved and sell your product. And the, and the other thing that has been really helpful for us is obviously press. Um, and almost all the press we've gotten, especially the really big pieces, uh, New York Times, Forbes, Inc., that kind of stuff has been organic as well. So also the, the press pieces that we have achieved haven't felt like we paid a PR team to get that for us. Um, and then that also just feels much more natural and the readers understand that as well. That's pretty awesome that you haven't had to have haven't had to hire a PR company to get pieces in the New York Times and um, just goes to show you with you can bootstrap a business. You really can. So more credit to you. How did you know that you, the two of you were going to work so well together? I mean, clearly you have the same style, taste, but any advice for uh, those of us listening who are interested in going into business with a friend, a colleague, an acquaintance, um, and, you know, and partnering up with anybody takes a lot of thought. It's, it's, it's a great question and, and often a tricky one. Um, we were, we, we were after sort of this, having this, this meeting, meeting great revelation. Um, we were definitely friends before we went full force into business, but I think one of what, and we realized that early on, but one of the things that I think helped the sort of transition from being friends to, um, business partners was setting some, some early, uh, timelines. So one of the things that we both agreed to is that, um, we were going to do this, this, sort of initial test round, we called it a beta launch. And we invested our, our own money into producing uh, five pieces that we, we were then going to turn around and sell to um, to our colleagues at Warden and just get a sense for, was this an idea that had legs? Was it worth investing more money into and going forward with? And we both agreed that that was sort of going to be the next point where we were going to decide whether to go forward or not. And if we agreed that we were both in after that, then we were both in. But it gave us really sort of like a, a a chance to have an out if we needed it, and um, luckily we we didn't. We were both on the same page. But I think making sure you're sort of giving each other as friends and a, as a and business partners a timeline and points where you can both sort of regroup and decide if, you're, if you still want to be in it. Um, yeah. That's test, really helpful. Test each other out. Yeah. In a relatively risk free environment. One other question we get a lot is about our roles um, within the company. So obviously we started the company and there were just two of us. Um, and then since then we've hired plenty of people. Um, and it actually was, I think the fact that we didn't define our roles from the get go, that we now have roles where we're both very effective. 
Um, so neither of us had started companies before. We didn't know our style. We didn't know exactly what we were going to be like in this entrepreneurial world. And kind of falling into, you know, what we were really strong at and what we were really interested in and what our skills were um, most most useful for um, has been has been great for us. Because I think a lot of times people, founders are like, OK, I'm the COO, you're the CFO, um, and then we're going to hire a CMO. And it doesn't work that well. Um, and it's easier to kind of figure it out organically and, and naturally than rush into the role de- definition. In my experience interviewing other fashion designers and fashion brands, it sounds to me like they always knew they wanted to be designers. They were obsessed with fashion. They were sketching since they were 10 years old. They went to design school. And the two of you come from, you know, it seems like a different background where you worked in finance and business and consulting. So where does the talent come from? Who's the, who's the sketcher in the partnership? Who's the, who's the fashion? Neither of us. actually. Neither of you. So who, who comes up with the ideas? So we, we have a full-time um, designer who was, who has really been with us since, um, since we, we did that beta line, um, which was when we realized that neither of us we're actually sketchers. Um, and she went to Parsons. She, uh, had her own, her own tailored, um, tailored clothing line before she joined us. Um, and she's, she's really skilled with that. And when we're, we're lucky to have her sort of you know behind the scenes, actually doing the sketching. And it's okay. like, <laughs> luckily for you, we're not the ones do, doing that. <laughs> well, maybe I thought you had some hidden talents or something, you know, you never know. It's also been good to have kind of the, her, Asia, her name's Asia, with with the fashion background um, and then us with the business background because we really look at things in a different way, um, especially when it comes to business dressing because Asia hadn't actually stepped foot in an office until we did a trunk show at Deloitte Consulting. Yeah. Where does the name of Mercer come from? Um, So Mercer is actually a high-end fabric uh, distributor in London back in like the 1700s. And um, we we chose the name because we thought it was really speaking to to what we were trying to do, which was offer a higher quality product at a um, a price point that was accessible. And we like this idea of of adding up around it because we thought it was, you know, we believe that we're we're part of a a broader movement of women who are, um, you know, embracing their their creative sides and personalities in their office wardrobe um, and are expecting more from everything they're wearing uh, to the office and um, thinking they, they, don't, they don't need a separate wardrobe from work and weekend. It can all be one and work for them. Well, it also sounds very urban. Like Mercer is obviously a British street uh, in London and Soho is a lot of, a lot of the names in New York come from, you know, the UK, but uh, when's your store on Mercer Street going to open up in Soho? That's the next thing, right? It's got to be. You know, when we can afford it, we'll, we yeah. will. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's talk money. Let's talk about, we talked a little bit about money, about how you raised capital for your business. But personally, uh, what are your financial philosophies? Dory, I'll let you go first. Yeah, um, my philosophy is save, 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 splurge. So I've I found that I get a lot more joy out of doing anything in a really, really big way than doing a lot of small things. So, for example, I'm more excited about buying a front row ticket to a concert and have Taylor Swift sweat on me than going to two concerts and sitting in the nosebleeds. Yes. So you do allow yourself to enjoy your money after some hard work. Yes. And I kind of save up until I'm ready to really spend. Emmeline, how about you? Yeah, one one of the things that, that I that I try to live by is not to be an an impulsive spender. Um, I have a personal rule where if there's something I, I'm looking to spend uh, money on or make a purchase on, I make myself wait for a week. 
And if I'm still thinking about it and still regretting that I didn't buy it a, a week later, um, then usually that tells me that's something that I that I really need and, and really wanted. And I think it's it's allowed me to sort of make making sure that I'm making the right decisions that are actually important to me and not um, you know making purchases that are impulsive and and, and that I really don't need. That's a really good point. I actually just came across a study that found that we sometimes just fall in love with the idea of having something as opposed to actually needing it, wanting it, you know, once we own it, it kind of the fantasy uh, does not get fulfilled. And that, and maybe you have found this too with your own store, your online store. Um, I was just looking at some data that looked at online shopping carts and the abandonment rate, which is very high across the e-commerce world. So it's like almost 80% of online shopping carts in the last six months were abandoned. That I'm, and I'm, I'm not surprised as I've, I, we found too that a lot of times customers are sort of doing their browsing online and putting things in, in the, into their carts online. And then they're maybe coming into the store later to, to actually make that purchase because once they get there, then they're deciding something to actually want. Right. Um, so it's a lot of it is sort of doing the, the, the test drive before before they actually make the purchase. Do a test drive. That's right. Uh, you might end up saving yourself a lot of money. What about uh, your childhoods? Do you have similar backgrounds when it comes to like, you know, your economics and your financial perspectives? I'd love for you guys to share each a story maybe that happened in childhood that later as adults really uh, as you reflect on that, you, you think in hindsight, that was really a, a pivotal moment for me financially. Sure. So uh, this is Evelyn speaking, and I'm I'm from Michigan, a sort of a suburban town called Grand Rapids. And um, one thing that I was remembering was that when I was little, I used to always set up um, stands in front of my driveway, and I would sell anything. I would sell lemonade. I would sell friendship bracelets that I made. Uh, and I still remember one day I had a friend over and. And she was complaining that all I wanted to ever do was set up stands and sell stuff. <laughs> and it sort of made me wonder, what was I, what was I doing it for? And looking back, um, I realized it wasn't really about just amassing pocket change for you know my own spending. But I really enjoyed the actual process of selling something that people liked. Um, and I enjoyed the experience of talking to people and, and giving them something they wanted. And I think that was really important um, for starting of Mercer. It's it's not just about um, money isn't fulfilling in itself, but making sure that you're you're earning in a way that is fulfilling. And for me, it's not just uh, making money, but knowing that I'm making products people want, and that's sort of what makes makes me happy and driven to to earn. Wow, that's a great story. And clearly, you had entrepreneurial tendencies as a child. <laughs> yeah, they were always there. They were always there. So, Dory, how about you? Yeah, so I actually grew up in in New York City in Manhattan. So. Uh, Emily and I have very similar values, but our childhoods definitely looked a little <laughs> bit different. Um, I didn't have stands. I have seen stands in Manhattan, but not like, <laughs> not not when I was growing up in you know eighties and New York wasn't as good. Um, so, so the first memory I have where I kind of thought about what it meant to save and to spend was when I bought a birthday present for my mom. I was about six or seven. It's like one of my very earliest memories and. I had $2 and I don't even know where that came from, maybe the tooth fairy or something. And my dad took me down to the card store in our apartment building. And I bought one of those cheesy, like world's best mom mugs. Um, and I gave her the two the salesman the $2 and I got 25 cents back. 
And my dad looks at me and goes, okay, and now there's the beginning of your new savings. And it struck me how quickly that money went away um, and how how hard it was to really amass it over time. So granted, I was talking about 25 cents and $2, but it took me a long time to get there and it was so fast for it to go away. Um, and, you know, I think it was valuable. It was a valuable present sentimentally. And if my mom hadn't recently Marie condoed her apartment, she probably would still have it. Um, and it'd be worth <laughs> She didn't keep more. the mug? Come on. You know, <laughs> didn't spark joy. No, it didn't spark joy. <laughs> How old were you then? I, I'm guessing six or seven. That was quite the observation. Yeah, I, well, yeah, it was a bit of a bummer to only have a quarter. <laughs> <laughs> but did it make you want to then quickly replenish? Yeah, I think it just goes back to this like save, 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 splurge thing yeah. that, I, that I kind of have as my ethos of it takes a while, but then it's worth it in the end. Mm-hmm. What about your failures? And this you can you can pull from your lives as entrepreneurs or also your personal financial experiences? What's been a, 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 a hard lesson that you've learned? Sure. This is Evelyn talking. I'll talk about something um, on the personal front. I think one of the things that I, that I, I did very poorly was transitioning from uh, the corporate word world um, where I was earning money and finance into the uh, back to business school where I wasn't earning money. And I think I was basically spending spending the same and living the same similar lifestyle as I was when I was in, in finance. And I and I, I sort of knew that I shouldn't be spending that way, but I sort of avoided having to set a budget and readjust like my lifestyle, having to make sacrifices um, longer than it should. And it definitely took more of a dip in my bank account that I that I should have let it for, for me to readjust. Um, and I think it's it's really it's really about making sure that you're facing the hard stuff sooner and um, what, I, what I found was that making that sort of lifestyle change to reset your budget and and things that you are are worth spending on isn't as hard as it as, as it seems. It just it's easier to do it earlier than later. Fail early and fail a lot when exactly you're, when you're when you when you have less at stake. Yeah, for sure. Dory, how about you? Um, so so here's another Mercer one. Um, one of the things that we have to spend a lot of money on and invest in as an e-commerce company is photography. So every time we do a photo shoot, there are a million things to pay for models, props, hair, makeup, equipment, a studio, a photographer. So it just, it gets very expensive very quickly. And one of our early photo shoots, um, we met a photographer. I think we found her like on Craigslist or something. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, her portfolio online was, it was good. Um, definitely good enough. And she said, I have a friend who has a studio. We can use it for free. So she gave us an unbelievable deal. She basically worked for nothing, uh, had a free studio. So we're like, great, here we go. So the day of the shoot, we, we get to this quote unquote studio and it's, it's a shoe factory, like a literal shoe factory in New York city that had a wall that we ended up using as the backdrop. Um, and it was probably the most uncomfortable day we've had while working at this company it was dusty. It smelled funny. There's shoe polish everywhere. Um, and it, the worst part of it was the f- photos came out pretty, pretty subpar, more than subpar. Um, and we ended up having to reshoot everything, um, rehire the models, rehire hair and makeup, find a new photographer, find new props, find new equipment. And we ended up spending twice as much or almost twice as much as we would have had we done it right the first time. Um, and that's something we've, we've learned is that if it, 
if it seems too good to be true, um, it probably is. So it's worth in not in not risking that. Yeah. In hindsight, what would you have, what, what, what due diligence would you have done that you didn't do? I think we would have looked, we would have gotten more information about a photographer. So now we use all of our contacts in the fashion world to really make sure we have references for photographers and we don't just hire them based on an online portfolio. Um, we would have uh, sc- site scouted the site to make sure that we were comfortable there, that it was a good place for us to re- be um, branding uh, our clothes. Um, and we basically wouldn't do half the same things as we did that mm-hmm. shoot. Well, okay. So money moment. Maybe you have a shared one for the business. Yeah. Um, well, actually, one um, one of one of our, our so money moments was the the very first time that we got outside funding for a Mercer. So it was while we were at um, uh, at Wharton, and you're part of uh, the Wharton Veteran Initiation Program, and we won um, what was called the Snyder Sne- S- Snyder Sneed Venture Award. Award. Um, and it was only $2,500, but for us, it was just so meaningful that someone besides ourselves was willing to invest in our idea and give us money for it, that it was, it was really validating to, um, to, to have that and, and have, have someone show us that. And I'm sure you hear this all the time, but they were men that we were pitching to, yeah. you know, that's a, that's again, a problem, but, uh, <laughs> convincing men that this is the best venture at Wharton to invest in and it's women's clothing, um, really kind of, was, yeah. it was so money for us. <laughs> what are your habits? Do you have each of you have financial habits? I know with the whole save, save, save splurge approach to, you know, Dory to your finances, is there a habit that you practice to make sure that that actually can happen? Yeah. I think on the same lines, I, I bring my lunch to work most days. Um, and that sort of is, it helps me to not spend that medium amount on a meal that I'm not going to think about ever again. So I, I always add avocado to everything. So a chopped salad will cost me $15 every day. And to me, that's not worth it if I could save up that $15 for five days in a week, um, and spend it on like a real dining experience at a great restaurant. So um, bringing lunch to me has, has made quite a bit of difference. Yeah, I, I'm I'm impressed. An entrepreneur who brings her lunch to work that's that's pretty. So, that's a to good be story. honest, sometimes it's like a frozen Amy's meal from Whole Foods. So I'm not, <laughs> I'm not cooking necessarily. Yeah. Listen, I'm, you're talking to the girl who lived off of like Subway sandwiches for, <laughs> for half of her twenties, and even still, I have a soft spot in my heart for Subway sandwiches. That smell. <laughs> I just and I don't even go for like the big deal. I just get like the veggie subs, and it just I think it's just nostalgic at this point. <laughs> um, Emmalyn, how about you? What's a habit? Uh, one thing, one thing that I I do um, to sort of really really face my fears is uh, I always tell myself wanting to avoid logging on to my bank account to check my balance to pay a bill or whatever it was. So I um, basically forced myself to deal with it by setting up an alert from my bank account for one, so once a week. I basically get a mobile text that says like your balance is so and so, and it's it, it's really a way to make sure that I'm keeping tabs on my finances and forcing myself to do it. That doesn't require you know a login and a password, um, but it's really there for me and, and forces forces me to make sure I'm on top of things. Let's do some so many fill in the blanks really quick. You ladies have been great sports throughout this uh, interview. So let's let's finish it off on a light note. So whoever wants to jump in first, feel free. Finish the sentence. If I won the lottery tomorrow, maybe you'll learn a lot about each other, by the way, through this process. I don't think, that, I don't think that's possible at this point. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I know too much. <laughs> Emily. For each uh, other and guess, guess the answer. <laughs> 
All right. If I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say $100 million, the first thing I would do is? Uh, I would buy an apartment. I would take a Mercer, team of Mercer on a fabulous trip. Would you invite Emmeline to that trip? Because apparently <laughs> no, she's going on her own be, vacation. She'll be in her new apartment. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> right. She's going to buy an apartment. One thing I spend on that makes my life easier or better is? It's Emmeline. Um, seamless for dinner. <laughs> it's just so quick and easy. Um, I am a Rent the Runway Unlimited member. Uh, oh, yeah. And it's... It's my jam. I get all these super trendy, expensive things that I don't have to buy and won't have to worry about reselling next season. Do you have enough places to go to wear these things at? Well, well, like, for example, right now I have this amazing Elizabeth and James leopard print coat. So it's my outerwear for the season. Oh, so they're not just doing that for like evening gowns and stuff. but it's No, just- actually, actually, you can get of Mercer on Rent the Runway. So oh. work, you can rent your work clothes as well. Oh, that's a great idea. Okay, I'll have to check that out. Thanks for giving me one more thing to spend my money on. Yeah. Um, by the way, Seamless, I I'm str- I have to cut back. This It's ridiculous. Like I, for those of you who aren't from New York listening to the show, um, Seamless is our all too easy website that lets us order from basically all of our neighborhood favorite joints. And um, you put in your credit card. So, and you know, it includes tip and everything. And it just basically click and your food arrives and you don't have to have cash. And it's just too gosh darn easy to the point where one year I was looking at my year to date spending. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Guess what the number two category after housing was food. (laughs) And a lot of that food was seamless. Seamless. So seamless is getting a lot of my income. It's, I mean, mine, mine too. I spent too many days like hangry in the grocery store trying to figure out what I was going to make for dinner. And it's just so easy to not think about it and just press that button. Hangry is the worst. It's the worst. All right. One thing I splurge on, what is it? The best splurge you've got? Manicures. Yeah. Various boot camp workout classes. Oh, yeah. Those are expensive. What, $35 a pop? Yes, they are. And there's no discount for buying in bulk. <laughs> they, uh, same with like places like SoulCycle, like they don't care. No. Your no. loyalty means nothing to them. No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Give us your money, bitches. <laughs> um, doing it, so. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, okay. One thing I wish I had learned about money growing up is? Um, for me, it's that everything's, everything's pretty much negotiable. Um, usually there's, there's, whether you're looking for, for us at Ed of Mercer, whether it's a photographer or a model or whatever it is, um, a quoted price is really about, you know, something that can be negotiated and it can work from both, both sides. Um, if they're willing to work with a startup and want to work with us and we have a budget, um, there's just a lot of flexibility there. My, mine is, um, kind of about investing in education. So I, I kind of always knew that quote, I should invest in my education. But when I was in in undergrad, I didn't really know what that meant. So I went to classes and then I did well enough. And then I had fun with my friends. Uh, Going back to grad school, I I think I really thought more about what it meant to be investing in my education and what it meant to be on a university campus and uh, surrounded by such brilliant minds who are so willing to help and be involved. So I think I got a lot more out of grad school than than I did necessarily um, at Princeton in undergrad. Hmm. Well, I think that's true for a lot of people who go to grad school. I mean, that's when a that's a, an experience in your life that you've now consciously made the choice to focus on something very specific. And a lot of us pay for our own way through grad school. So it's more meaningful in that sense, too. So I think a lot of people would relate to that. I know I certainly can relate when I went to journalism school. 
I kind of finally felt that I discovered my academic calling and then, you know, obviously my professional calling too. Yep. All right, ladies, here's your so money moment. Tell us I'm so money because... Can we have the same one? Yeah, sure. You have to say together in sync. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) We could do that. Uh, We're so money because we started a successful company that helps empower working women. I love it. You have. And congratulations. And it's just the beginning. So we look forward to seeing how uh, 2017 shapes for shapes out for you, the two of you. And uh, once, like I said, once uh, I'm back to my normal size, <laughs> look forward <laughs> to testing, test driving your clothes and uh, wishing you a great rest of your year. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having, Thanks for having us. us. If you'd like to learn more about Emmeline and Dory, Visit Of Mercer's website at ofmercer.com. They're also on Twitter at Of Mercer. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Remember, if you have any questions for me, just go to somoneypodcast.com, click on Ask Farnoosh, and let me know what's on your money mind. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope your day is so money. Money.